This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. And I'm thinking here, is it is it explained that many recreational runners are kind of stepping too much forward? So they have a big deceleration that the leg is too much forward and they're kind of stepping, I don't know how to explain, but stepping against and the elites are stepping under and kind of accelerating at the same time with each step or yeah do, do you see this or is there many many things yeah so like, like the the initial contact is an important one because that's already defines okay how is the first part of the impact absorption and from research we know that the calf muscles play the the, the biggest role in impact absorption during running so uh, these muscles need to be in the ideal position and needs to operate very well. And that's what we see, eh? like the, the initial contact is very important, but also, okay, not only the initial contact, we sometimes see that it's improved, but it didn't change anything in the impact duration. And that's because the intramuscular or intramuscular control is not yet trained. So that takes a bit longer time. You need to train this. It's not that you can fix very quickly. Yeah, and uh, how do you see the four mid rear foot strike, yeah. and how do you see the effect of of a shoe? How much is their heel drop? How how do you see these factors playing in? Yeah, also a very good question. So, I believe that heel strike, forefoot strike, midfoot strike doesn't directly. We we can't say that the the heel striker is perceived worse than the forefoot striker. Mm. Because what we can clearly see in our data is actually that there is no big correlation between these aspects. It all depends on how is the body position when you strike. So if you have an overstride with a heel strike, which is most common, you don't you don't see that very often that a forefoot strike is uh, combined with uh, uh, with the overstriding pattern. Sometimes, but less. Yeah. Then what matters is actually the overstriding, not the strike at first contact, there is just a shift in how the first absorption is. So a forefoot strike, yeah, of course they utilize or need to utilize the calf muscles very well to absorb the shock. But in a heel strike, you have more the rocker type of action. And so you, you need to decelerate and you do it very smoothly by controlling with the, the, the posterior muscles, but also tibialis anterior. So we don't need to shift somebody's running technique, but we can improve it. And that's what we clearly see is that, for example, when we see that the impacts were very high and we saw a heel strike at initial contact, we sometimes ask, okay, try to control and try to do it a bit more smoothly. Mm, And then we can clearly see better results. So there's not kind of one right way it's it comes much to the impact absorption how the step is taken what what's your take on the on the shoe and for example heel drop how how should the shoes be for recreational runners how should it be for elite runners how should it be for the training how should it be for the competition is there difference in this yeah uh, also a good question uh, so so wear. Um, so we also work with podiatrists and we have actually some very good results that 
shoeware can influence the results. Not in all cases. So, so sometimes we don't see big changes. But in some occasions when, for example, a heel strike, uh, when there is a yeah, somebody that's running with a heel strike, the first phase of contact, yeah, it can be very abrupt because yeah, think about if we don't have a, a foam in the heel, then of course it can transfer really quickly through the legs. But in some occasions we saw that when they had a bigger heel drop, so there was a bit more cushioning in the heel at f- initial contact, that it actually reduces a lot uh, in impact duration and impact magnitude. Hmm. And this is because yeah, the foam is also a kind of uh, the first shock absorber. Hmm. So if that's absorbing in the first phase and you can transition to a very, at that moment, eh, because we move forward and we can utilize then from that moment, your calf muscles, then of course the impact absorption can be a bit more smoothly. That's interesting. And, and how, how do you see the in, insole, the, the first part of the shoe that is against the foot? Because I think many people think that if you have problems with your foot, you should have a soft insole. And I'm I'm more like against it that it should be hard because then you actually are loading the parts that are supposed to be loaded of the foot, like basically the yeah. first first ray and the heel and and so on. What's what's your take on this? That how what kind of insole is good for this yes. situation? Yeah, a good question. But this is a bit out of my <laughs> scope. Let us say, uh, yeah. I think this is a, a the best question for a podiatrist works all day with the insoles uh, but I believe I think I um, believe like what you said um, so an insole should assist but should not block movements uh, and hard insoles will do this a bit more I think so I believe that uh, finding the right insole is very important eh? we need to find the balance and, and that's also important the balance between okay how we load our foot and how do we load our uh, lower limbs because there is a difference. Eh? You can unload the foot, but we see a bad response higher in the chain. That's also not what we want. So we need to find a good balance. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I've been switching between these. Like, you know, when I have my Achilles tendon sore, I put the high heel drop so I can, I can lo- load my knees more, which can take it. Yeah. Then when it's the opposite, I take with the small heel drop when I feel... Pain in my foot. I put a really hard insole, and I'm, yeah, I'm a experienced expert at this. Trying to find the ways to keep going, yeah. But very, very interesting. Uh, so now we have gone basically the low tolerance, movement quality, impact absorption. Anything else you want to add in the impact absorption, or should we move to fatigue resistance differences? So maybe one thing that I really want to say about the impact absorption, it's not okay. Absorption is can be good. Yeah? We don't need to absorb too much. But what we see very often is that yeah, if you compare your impact time, so the impact duration time, compare that to your ground contact time, we also see a big difference. And we can see that elite runners are more close to the 40 to 50% of their ground contact time. So if you think about that, so that means that actually we decelerate our center of mass till around mid-stance, and then we reach our peak. And actually, it's very close to the propulsion phase. Hmm. And what makes this interesting 
is actually how do our tenants behave. So our tenants are made to be loaded quickly. Hmm. And I mean with quickly that there is not too much transition between we load by the absorption hmm. and the propulsion. So if you're able to slow it down and you uh, go to propulsion, if you can be able to slow that down to around 50%, you're better in utilizing that energy from your tenderness uh, tissue. Yeah, that's that's good. And I, I think in the speech language, the word quickly, it can mean either short time or it can mean fast speed. And in this case, it needs to be the short time between the deceleration yeah. and the acceleration. Yeah. The timing aspect indeed. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, so if we then move to the fatigue resistance, we covered it a little bit in the in the first part, but maybe we can yeah. talk about it a little bit more now. So what we can clearly see, like I said in, a, in, in, in a, the previous conversation, we can clearly see that uh, the elite runner is able to maintain his outputs a bit better. So we see we don't see big shifts in dynamic stability when running uphill, downhill. We don't see big differences in the impact magnitude, actually, in downhill uh, running. We don't see shifts when going to different surfaces. So that actually means that in the elite runners, we see a better adaptive and flexible system, system through the environmental conditions. So we change sometimes. I think if you run downhill, uphill, you change your ground contact time, you change your flight time. And this is actually a way to position our body in the perfect position. So we need to adapt during these conditions. And what we measure is actually what is the output out of it. And we can clearly see that there was less change for the elite runner versus a recreational runner. So basically the elite runners are able to adapt to changing environment, whether it's fatigue, downhill, uphill. How, how do you see, like, I think usually the road runners or or track and field at least they don't usually run much in the trails would you would you think this is a good way of training the adaptability and also the kind of very close to running core training because if you on a trail it's very uneven and and you need to balance balance your body much work and and use your core more yes so that's a uh, actually a great suggestion i think that is possible but of course, you need to be careful. Uh, they are not used to do it. So ch going too fast or too heavy in, 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 for example, the trail running can, of course, create like uh, can can maybe overload specific tissues uh, that they are not used to use. So I believe that during uh, periods of non-specific training, uh, like maybe the base training right now, it's winter season. So there is no big competitions at this moment. This is the ideal moment to train a bit, to have a bit more var uh, variety in your environmental conditions. So I think it's a great way to, to really use it because there you train also, your, like you said, your stability and you need to stabilize during different positions, during different steps. And this is also training your uh, motor variability, let us say. And if, if, if I go a little bit to this uh, run easy system and, and testing in a normal environment, so... Do you have a protocol or are you planning to develop a protocol that would be kind of a set protocol to check this fatigue resistance that could be having like downhill, uphill running and certain 
intensity with certain duration that you could actually kind of normalize and test it and then have the reference values for each. Yeah. So uh, how we do it right now is, okay, we, we, we let the person run. We don't interfere too much in their training. Uh, that's very, very easy with our system. We have only one sensor. We have a belt. They don't feel the belt. I think you can, uh, it's not a, a, a something on the body that is, yeah, that is um, changing your running technique. So they are not aware anymore in a few, in a few minutes that they wear a system. So we just want to collect the data and to see, okay, is there something changing in the data? Like when the person is running downhill, uphill, and that could be a very interesting benchmark for you as a runner. So think about, okay, we have knee pain and we can clearly see that downhill running was a problem. Uh, it can be that the person is not yet able or doesn't want to adapt his, his running technique in the downhill to be protective, of course. And actually that should be trained. Eh? We don't need to stay in that uh, injury um, mechanism. We really need to be able to be adaptive again. So we don't get problems in another area in our body. And I think about you have knee pain. Okay, let's run more uh, with minimalistic shoes. Of course, you can create more problems in the tennis. So yeah, we really need to get that adaptive system again. So downhill running eh, should be done eh, uh, in, a, in a good way again. Yeah, and maybe maybe for the listeners who are interested about the load tolerance and and managing injuries, I can I can plug in. I I had a interview with the person who's running the Smart Running podcast. If I remember the name right, we did like two or three episodes, and I think there was really good points about how do you come back from injury, how do you classify, how do you give a number for the pain that you have, and when it's the red flag of not not continuing running so if anyone interested on that you can check that episode yeah do you do you have any anything else to add add into this uh, fatigue resistance yeah so i think for uh, improving in your fatigue resistance i think it's first of all improve your aerobic fitness that's one one major uh, thing so we sometimes try to improve like the whole biomechanical system during by doing a lot of exercise but if we don't train the aerobic abilities or the aerobic fitness, of course, that can create problems at a given speed. If um, So we, we can clearly see that this is one main part that is necessary to improve. The other thing is, like like we said, train in different environments in uh, mo- at moments where you are able to do it, uh, when there is no specific preparation to a certain event. Think about a marathon race. Of course, in the late phase, don't change too much in the environment. Train for your race. But then the basic training period, train in different environments to really train the adaptive system. Then I think also what we've seen by recreational runners also, yeah, train in different intensities. Don't always stay at your regular pace. Uh, Try to run slow, try to run fast, try to do fart legs, to do some sprint intervals because you train at different intensities and you need to find a mechanical efficiency in all uh, intensities. And then, of course, uh, do it very wisely and try to uh, not do it too much too soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the that's the challenge and the the golden thing for for almost everyone. It's it's a simple principle, but so many of us go wrong with it. Yeah, so, sounds perfect. So we could we could start wrapping up this this episode. I think it's been 
interesting to hear about the differences between recreation runners, elite runners, and, and that, the, for example, the dynamic stability is really dividing the people in into two groups. Um, do you have any, any final remarks for, for this episode? No, I think we, we, we already talked quite a lot. <laughs> I think we have uh, some key points. So if, if somebody has some questions about uh, any of these specific topics, because I, of course, in this podcast, I can't go too deeply in every specific area, uh, you maybe can contact me. Um, so on my social uh, platform, uh, Instagram, for example. And how, how do people find you on, on Instagram? So uh, actually, my name, um, Philip Kortvriend. Yeah. So uh, it's a kind of difficult name, but you can find me there, or you can just uh, message to Runeasy. So uh, Philip at Runeasy.ai. So you can, maybe can find our website, uh, and then I really love to go more in detail if you want to uh, want to have a chat with me. Yeah, and if there's some running coach or a podiatrist or a physiotherapist or something like, and they would like to hear more about Run Easy and maybe maybe have a chat, how it could help, whether it could help in their work, how how should they proceed? Yes, indeed. So so contacting you or or going to the website or what's the what's the best way um yeah like uh, you can directly contact me like on uh, on instagram or uh you can uh, go to our website run easy run and then you can um you, yeah you can some find uh, some contact details on the website or contact me directly via email which is philip at run yeah Perfect. Uh, this was very interesting discussion. So thank you, Philip, for this this session. No, uh, no problem. I uh, love to chat about uh, my passions. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.